I'd like to invite you to turn with me this morning in God's Word to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, beginning our reading in verse 19 this morning of the 14th chapter of Romans, and we'll continue on through the 15th chapter, 15 verse 6. And we're going to read God's Word this morning under the heading of Opinions in the Kingdom. Opinions in the Kingdom. Romans 14, verse 19 through 15, verse 6. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 14, verse 19. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here ends the reading of God's Word this morning. May we receive it with a believing heart. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus, opinions, we all have them. Opinions, the inward deliberation of what you believe to be right or wrong. Opinions are powerful things. They have the power, opinions have the power to unify. Opinions also have the power to divide. If you have been a Christian or maybe a member of a church for any length of time, you know that Christians, as much as anybody, have opinions. Christians may even have opinions more so than others. Paul seems to concede this point when he says in chapter 14, verse 1, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. Now some suggest that because we do quarrel over opinions that we should simply not have them. We should strip away our opinions down to the nuts and bolts of the Christian faith and simply gather around what we believe. But Paul seems to suggest that we should actually have opinions. Look at verse 23. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. He's saying when the Scriptures are clear, follow the perfect guidance of God's Word. But when it comes to a disputable matter, about things which there is no discernible, clear answer, live by your conviction. Live by your opinion. 
An opinion informed by the Word of God. An opinion done from a place of place. Done from a place of faith. An opinion done for His glory is good. The Apostle Paul recognizes that opinions also have an explosive power. They have an explosive power. Everyone in this room knows people who could not walk the Christian walk together anymore because of opinions. Everyone knows churches that have split over opinions, even silly opinions. Like what songbook to use. What color to paint the walls. We all know people who have been turned away from the faith, maybe even turned away from the church because of opinions. And so as we continue our study on the Christian's freedom, we see that a Christian is free to have opinions. In fact, Christians should have opinions. But we also see that Christians are anything but one when it comes to their opinions. See, the church to whom Paul is writing is divided by opinions. He talks about the weak view and the strong view, the Jew and the Gentile. That they are united to Jesus by faith. They are united to one another in the church, the body of Christ, but that manifestation of unity was not present. Yet we confess in this church and all churches one holy Catholic and apostolic church. The church is to be one bride. The church is to be one body. The church is to be one kingdom. So what do we do with our opinions? What do we do with our diversity? That's what Paul is going to address this morning. The question on the Apostle Paul's mind, what do we do with our opinions? And our theme is actually going to be a quotation from the Puritan preacher Richard Baxter who put it this way. He said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. In order to help us understand the place of our opinions in the church, Paul encourages us in the Lord to do everything to promote peace, to do everything to build up, and to do everything unto Jesus. Those are our points. Point one, do everything to promote peace, do everything to build up, and do everything unto Jesus. So let's look first at that idea of the promotion of peace. Paul begins, look with me at verse 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. And this, brothers and sisters, in many ways is a theme verse for the rest of this chapter. And Paul says we are called to do two things with our opinions. We are called to promote peace and we are to build up. But the first thing I want you to notice is that this is a call to action. Verse 19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace. In order to understand the force of the statement, I want to remind you about the situation in Rome we looked at last week. The body 
is of Christ in Rome and the church is split along the lines of opinion. Paul says in chapter 14, verse 1, that there is a weak view. This weak view is trying to, in a sense, tell the church, the people in Rome, that they needed to follow their vegetarian convictions we see in verse 2. One person believes he may eat meat, anything, while another person despises him who abstains. In verse 5, they wanted the people in the church of Rome to follow the feast days. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Then you had the strong view Paul talks about in Romans 15, verse 1. And these are those who embrace their freedom in Christ to the detriment of their neighbor. So imagine with me the congregational meeting in Rome the bickering, the scoffing, the gossip that is so often present in churches in turmoil. There are church divided. So Paul writes in verse 19, so then. It's an important word in the Greek. Ara. Paul is drawing his conclusion. Imagine the people in Rome sitting up in their seats. Who is the Apostle Paul going to agree with? Is he going to crush the weak view for their bad theology? Is he going to rebuke the strong for their arrogance? Look what Paul says. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace. You can think about it this way. Paul doesn't take the weak side view side. He doesn't take the strong views side. Paul takes God's side. This is a call to action. And he doesn't say, I have decided to pursue peace. He doesn't say the weak view needs to pursue peace or the strong view must pursue peace. Look at what he says. Let us pursue peace. It's not the duty of only some in the church of Rome, but it's the duty of all believers in the church of Rome. It's the duty of all believers here to pursue peace. Whether you're a pastor, an elder, or deacon, pursue peace. Whether you are the weak or the strong, pursue peace. Listen to this. Whether you are right or whether you are wrong, Pursue peace. Now, beloved, don't we need this word today? So often we think the person who has to pursue peace is the one who is offended. We think that because I am the one who is hurt, because I am the one who is wrong, because I am the one who is offended, you need to pursue peace with me. You need to come to me and bow your head to me. But what Paul is endorsing here is not a worldly peace. He endorses a gospel peace. See, that word pursue is an intense word. Pursue means to chase after. Or to not be casual, but earnestly, Paul says, seek peace. But in our fallen human nature, we have to admit it's much easier for us to strive 
for conflict. As humans, we find it easy to lap up gossip in the church. It's so much easier to pursue conflicts. But we know in our hearts, with our family members, our friends, that if we give of ourselves our time and our energy to bad things, it leaves little room for good. Paul says, pursue peace. Give your energy to peace. Let me put it in a modern way. You need to be a heat-seeking missile for peace. So what is peace? See, if we're going to aim for it, we need to know what we're looking for. And it seems like there is a lot of different ways you can answer this question. See, if you turn on the news, read the paper, listen to a podcast, the modern idea of peace is the absence of strife at any cost. That we need to sacrifice something from our own personal life in order to produce peace. It's the sacrifice of men. The sacrifice of us. The sacrifice of something from our own personal life. But that's not the biblical idea of peace. The biblical idea of peace is that strife is overcome by the death of Christ. It is not our sacrifice that produces peace. But it is God's sacrifice that produces peace. See, beloved, this is the gospel peace that Paul tells us that we need to pursue. We need to have our eyes that are focused on God's peace, the peace that He has pursued with us. Remember of God, especially of the Lord Jesus Christ, of course the second person of the Godhead, His whole mission was that of peace. In His birth, the angels proclaimed, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. Peace is His legacy. Peace, before He went to the cross, He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Peace is His title. He is the Prince of Peace. You see, since God was willing to pursue peace with us through the cross, He was willing to pursue peace, peace, not conflict, not war, even though that is what we were due. Here's Paul's motive. We should pursue peace in the church as well. How amazing is this? Biblical peace. God was right. He was the offended party. But through the meekness, humility, self-denial, and love of the Savior, He pursued peace. Now beloved, we need to get this. That God is the God of peace, but never at the expense of the truth. See, God is the Prince of Peace, but He does not tolerate sin. And so Paul is not saying that if somebody walks into the church of Rome and says, I want to have peace with you, brothers and sisters, but I also want to keep my sin. 
my drunkenness, my adultery, my whatever it is. Paul does not say you need to tolerate that person. If God does not tolerate sin, neither does the church. But Paul is saying that if we want to have peace in the church, you must first have peace with God. In short, we can never treat something that God has commanded as inconsequential. In non-essentials, pursue peace. In essentials, you must have agreement. Now most of us get impatient when people repeat themselves. Boys and girls, your parents never repeat themselves, do they? Wash behind your ears. Look both ways before crossing. Don't run with scissors. Why do your parents repeat themselves so much? Because you need to get it. When we repeat something, it's because we need to learn it. We haven't gotten it yet. That's why we read the Ten Commandments every Sunday morning, because we hear them and then we forget them. When something is repeated, it shows that we still need to hear it. And praise God that He repeats Himself. In fact, look at how many times the same words appear in these two Scripture readings. Notice that Paul says peace in verse 17 and 19. He says destroy in verses 15 and 20. He says clean and unclean in verses 14 and 20. He says stumble in verses 13 and 20. He says condemned in verses 3 and 23. He says the weak in verses 14 1 and the strong in verses 15 1. Paul has to repeat himself because Rome still hasn't got it. Beloved, we still haven't got it. He is repeating the same thing that we learned last week in verses 5 through 12. That the kingdom of God needs to be our focus. The kingdom of God is more important than our opinions. Your church is more important than food and holidays. The gospel is more important than your judgments. The peace of your brother and sister is more important than your opinion. This is the problem that Paul is addressing in Rome. Is that the opinions of the people are now distracting from the peace of God. We need to make sure that our opinions are kingdom serving, not self serving. You know, a word of application this morning. Many people wish for peace. Many people talk loudly of peace, but do nothing to promote peace. See, before we say something, Paul is telling us, we need to ask, is this going to promote the peace of the Gospel? And if not, don't say it. Before we take a side, we ask ourselves, are we promoting peace? Or am I promoting what I think is best? Am I promoting myself or my opinions? Is the most important thing that I am vindicated and that my opinions are correct? Or is the most important thing the peace of the Gospel? First things first. In all things, 
Let us do it to promote peace. Now secondly, Paul says, we need to do everything to build up. He wants to make sure that we, when we share our opinions, that we are building one another up. Look at verse 19 again with me. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. The old King James Version. It said that we need to do what makes for peace and to edify one another. We're not to promote peace in the sense that we tolerate each other. But we are to promote peace in the sense that we strengthen one another. That we unify and build up each other. See, this is one of Paul's favorite analogies for the church in the New Testament is that the church is a spiritual building. Fifteen times in the New Testament, Paul refers to the church as a building. What he's doing is he's drawing on the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 16, isn't he? And Jesus says to his disciples, I will build my church. See, Jesus isn't talking about a a physical building. He's talking about a spiritual building. The corporate body of believers that exists throughout time and space. And so does Paul say, we need to participate in the building. Not by saving one another, that's Jesus' work, but we participate in the building up of the church of Christ when we edify one another. Matthew Henry, I love the way he puts it. He says, the closer the stone lies, the better they are squared, the stronger the building. That's our call. And really, there's two thoughts here. We must not tear down the work of Christ. And second, we must build up each other in Christ. So Paul says, don't tear down the work of Christ. Notice what he says in verse 20. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brothers to stumble. We must not tear down the work of Christ. Well, You might be sitting there in the pew this morning and saying this question that I had. How can we mere humans, tear down the work of Christ. If you remember when Jesus says in Matthew 16, I will build My church, what does He say after that? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It seems to be indicating that the work of Christ cannot be torn down. Now allow me to be clear. Don't misunderstand me. Paul teaches us not that our opinions can tear someone out of heaven. We can't tear the work down so that people are damned who were once Christians. But we can tear down someone's spiritual life. Do you hear what I'm saying? Don't tear down the work of Christ. doesn't mean that you can tear someone out of the palm of Christ, but you can tear down their spiritual life. And notice that Paul gives two examples. You know, one way we tear down the work of Christ, if we cause our brother to stumble. He says in verses 
13 and 20. Do not cause your brother to stumble. And this is a Bible picture here, brothers and sisters. It's a a metaphor from the Old Testament. Where in the book of Proverbs, it says that the Christian life is like taking a walk on the journey to heaven. And the picture here is of a brother or sister walking along that path, striving onward to heaven, and someone putting something in their path that causes them to fall. To stumble. Maybe it's an opinion. Expressed. Unwisely, where someone says, I'm losing my trust in God because of what you have said. Maybe it's a conversation that someone overhears or listens in on. Where people say, I'm beginning to lose my trust in the church. Maybe it's a freedom, that's the context of this passage you have, that a weaker brother does not have, and then they fall into sin. See, the last thing we ever want to be is the cause of someone's falling into sin. And there's a famous example of this in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where the Gentiles who were coming in from a pagan background, they wouldn't eat meat sacrificed to idols. And what you need to know about the temples back in the day was that they were much more like bars than they were like churches. Places of drunkenness, places of orgies, places of great debaucheries. But, jet, but Paul says to the Jews in 1 Corinthians 8, you are free to go there in Jesus, but you might cause your brother to stumble. And so don't go. God did not set us free so that we could lead others into bondage. He set us free so that we could build one another up. Don't cause your brother to stumble. Don't tear down the work of Christ. Then second, Paul says, this is another way we can tear down the work of Christ. Look at what he says in verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God. Now again, this doesn't refer to damnation. A Christian cannot offend another Christian so badly they fall into hell. But this is a strong word. In the Greek, the word is apolumi. And it is, in the New Testament, most often used to refer to damnation. But when used in reference to a Christian, listen to this, it refers to great spiritual loss. It refers to a spiritual disaster. In fact, it's the same word used in Matthew 18, verse 14, to describe the heart of God the Father when a little one dies. Great loss. Unimaginable loss. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 18, verse 4. So it is not the will of the Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Apollumi. You could understand Paul in this sense. Verse 20. Do not bring about spiritual loss with your opinions. Do not bring about spiritual devastation with your opinions. And Paul is putting his finger on the pulse, isn't he? Opinions can be devastating. Opinions can destroy our joy 
in the kingdom. We all have friends and family who have felt that they had to leave a church because of something somebody said. Spiritual loss. We all know people who have lost their joy in worship because someone else is exercising their freedom without care for them. See, we have to be honest this morning. It's Christ's church. He will not allow it to fail, but it is still filled with sinners. And we can hurt each other. But we can also encourage each other. See, Paul says that there is a positive teaching. Do build each other up. Don't seek to tear down the work of Christ. Seek to build up one another in Christ. Instead of tearing down, we need to edify. Our words, our thoughts, our opinions need to be strengthening, unifying, iron sharpening iron things. We would do well every time we speak in church. We would do well every time in conversation, to pause and to consider, is this my aim? To strengthen, unify, and sharpen my brothers and sisters. The problem is, is that many times we have to acknowledge and confess that it's not. As Christians, we can get wrapped up in ourselves. We can pursue our own glory rather than the good of our neighbors and the glory of God. But it is to be our aim to build up and edify. Now a few words about that word build up. Chapter 15, verse 2. The Greek word does not just simply mean encourage one another. It doesn't simply mean give someone a pat on the back. But it means to help people grow spiritually and to develop their character in Christ. I want to give you five points on how we can do that this morning. Five points on how we can do that. We can help one another on the road to heaven. Instead of being a stumbling block for one another with our opinions and our freedoms, let us help one another on our road to Christ-likeness. Secondly, we can teach and instruct one another in the truths of God. When somebody is struggling, give them an encouraging word. Remind them of the truths of the Gospel. Fourth, encourage them to be Christ-like in their behavior. When you see your brother or sister in sin, yes, Paul says don't pass judgment, but there's nothing wrong with saying, brother or sister, you cannot do that. You need to be like Christ. Fourth is accountability. Lovingly checking in on your neighbor. Seeing how they're doing with their sins. Encouraging them in the way of Christ. And then fifth and most importantly, pray for one another. This is how we build up. This is how we make sure the stones, the living stones of the kingdom are being built up in a proper way. Help them along. Teach and instruct. Encourage them in Christ-like behavior. Hold them accountable and pray for your brothers and your sisters. Do everything to promote peace. Do everything to build up. Third and finally, We need to do everything unto Jesus. See, Paul is bringing his argument to a close on the Christian's freedom, which began in chapter 14, verse 1, and ends here in chapter 15, verse 6. But before he does, he cannot help 
but lift up Christ before our eyes one more time. This is the gas in the tank. This is the motive. This is the reason that we seek peace. That we want to build each other up. That we want to bear each other's burdens because Christ has done it for you. And He has done it for me. What a wonder of all wonders that Christ did not come to the church to please Himself. But He came to please you and me. Verse 3 of chapter 15, For Christ did not please Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on Me. Quotation from Psalm 69. That He did not pursue His own ease in the church. His own safety or pleasure. He refused to be made a king. He washed the disciples' feet. He endured the hatred of sinners. He emptied Himself. He made Himself of no reputation all for our sakes. He preferred the benefits of you over the pleasure of self. As I mentioned, it's a quote from Psalm 69. The zeal for your house has consumed me. The reproaches of those who reproached you have fallen on me. He took the reproaches of this world. The mocking, the sneering, the condemnation of Pilate. And He took the curses of our sins. Every single one of them. This is why the strong should bear with the weak in their infirmities. This is why the weak should not judge the strong. This is why we should do everything at Trinity United Reformed Church for the peace and the upbuilding of one another. Verse 3, for Christ. For Christ, who was infinitely happy and did not please Himself. For Christ, who did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped and did not please Himself. For Christ, who had no reason to be concerned, did not please Himself. For Christ, who had no reason to die the death you and I were due, did not please Himself. If He would be humbled and deny Himself, should we not embrace humility, deny ourselves, and be ready to consider one another in the church. As Paul considers the humility of Jesus, what he went through for the sake of the church, notice how he just breaks forth in prayer. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What an important principle. When we differ in our opinions, when we struggle to get along, and there will be times, that we should turn our eyes upward to heaven and look to Him who alone can truly change hearts and minds. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this is so vital for the unity of the church. Paul has shown us that we are unified by faith in Christ, but we also have diverse opinions. But our greatest expression of unity is not always that we agree. Our greatest expression of unity is our love for Jesus. Salvation has come to us by faith in Christ. That is the defining core of truth that is ours. 
That is what is sufficient to unite us. That is the tie that binds, even with our differences. We are serving the Lord Jesus together. That the God, the creator of heaven and earth, against whom we had sinned, has in Christ reconciled us to himself, so that we who believe in him, not counting their sins against them, but forgiving through him through the redemption that is found in his life and his atoning death, that we have received by faith. That is what binds us together. That is what makes us one. That is what makes us one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. Him and his perfect work. And so Paul prays for three things. Just look at them very quickly. He prays for patience. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony. Now he's praying for Christ's likeness. And then he prays that God would be glorified. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. May this be our prayer as well. That the God of encouragement might bless us. Bless us to be like Christ. And that he would receive all of the glory. So in conclusion, opinions. We all have them. But praise God that we don't have to be a church of robots who all agree, who all think, who all do and understand everything the same. Beloved, there is a beauty in diversity. But may our opinions always be for the good of the church, never for her destruction. Let us promote peace. Let us build one another up. And let us do it all unto Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the diversity of the church that we see in the church of Rome, even with the Jews and the Gentiles. And here there are people from many diverse backgrounds, different ways of life. But we pray, Lord, that you, the God of patience and endurance, might grant us, this church, Trinity United Reformed Church, to live in harmony with one another. Help us to be Christ-like that we might live lives together as the body which glorify God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for pursuing peace with us. May we do it with one another for the building up and for the glory of your holy name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.